You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's version of Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and I'm Ron Bachman. For the regular listeners, you know that we really haven't been talking about healthcare or healthcare reform lately because we are in a governmental social environment of a cultural war with socialism and Marxism. And until we get past that, given that we have an administration that's supportive of many of the concepts and ideologies of socialism, given that we have a number of national leaders from Bernie Sanders to AOC to other elected officials that are part of the so-called squad that are promoting socialism, given the fact that we have socialism throughout our educational system, our professors, our media, uh, the Hollywood types, we really can't seriously talk about free market solutions to health care until we better understand this whole movement and logic towards socialism, the progressive constant drumbeat and movement towards socialism and Marxism. So to better understand that, for this audience to get more insight, I have been doing some interviews off of a presentation that's really on YouTube from a Marxist professor, Professor Stephen Hicks. And he's been very forthright in his presentations to his students about Marxism, the education of students in Marxism, the outcome of Marxism, the natural progression of society and the history of Marxism. And today I want to start with his presentation on the history of human culture as a Marxist would see it. Marx seemed to have a long time frame for change. Marxists look at lifetimes, they look at decades, they look at centuries to install the, the Marxist ideal. They see that as the final ultimate form of governance over people in this world. So let's back up and have the professor give us that sort of history of developing over the last millennial as to how a Marxist would view history and the changing ruling over people. So, Professor, give us a little bit of a lesson from the Marxist perspective. Human beings, uh, of course, have a long history, uh, so to speak, and have gone through various economic stages. And the current stage that we are in is not the final stage, but we are uh, certainly approaching from the Marxist perspective one of the great cataclysmic moments, one of the the near uh, final stages in in the overall ultimate development of uh, of the human society and human economy. Okay, Professor, now just give us a quick overview, a simplified version from a Marxist perspective of this evolution that you're talking about to get to where we are today and in this cataclysmic change that we're about to experience. So if we just, uh, uh, in fairly crude terms, look at human history and economic terms, the first uh, and primary mode of organization is a tribal right, mode of organization. We have small hunter-gatherer bands, and they organize themselves in tribal structures. They can be uh, small, just a few families. They can be large, and so forth. What then happens is... Uh, there's a logic to the development here, and then at a certain point, we develop uh, into various sorts of uh, empires. 
in which uh, one tribe will succeed in uh, bringing a number of tribes under under its purview, and then we start to have a more uh, uh, larger organization. Uh, geographically speaking, there's typically an urbanization right that occurs here. There will be one uh, basically urban center that will be the capital, uh, and it will have an urban, dyna- an urban dynamic, and then there will be a number of smaller centers, but still a large number of uh, agriculture, and perhaps even still hunter-gatherers under their, their, uh, their dominion. The next major stage is that the empires become formalized and rigidified into a certain set of structures that we know as uh, feudalism. This is something that happened in Asian countries, uh, Chinese feudalism, Japanese feudalism, uh, the feudal structure in India, and then certainly uh, there are any number of feudal structures that came to exist in, in, uh, in Europe as well. Feudalism is very hierarchical, and out of feudalism, there's a necessary logic that develops into uh, capitalism early in the modern world. We know that uh, there are a number of revolutions that occur that undermine and overthrow feudalism, uh, and so currently we are in, uh, in the capitalist stage of development. And the Marxists argue that capitalism has its own internal logic of development, economically speaking, and it will give rise to another kind of revolution. Uh, a future revolution, though one that may be in the offing from the Marxist perspective, and that will usher in an era of socialism, and socialism will have a couple of substages as well. But to keep it simple, we will uh, have this structure in place for now. Uh, Professor, that sounds like a very simplistic academic uh, presentation that just shows the, the evolution of mankind in history and the way we organize but there's nothing in there that really says that socialism, Marxism is the end result. You've just gone through a series of changes from uh, kings and rulers to capitalism, which gives individuals more power. Um, why would a Marxist think that the next uh, improvement in governmental structure would be socialism? All right, now the important point here uh, from the Marxist philosophical perspective is that this development, right, this economic development is an ironclad development. They see it as an expression of the underlying metaphysics. The metaphysics is materialistic. The laws that govern uh, material uh, processes development are themselves deterministic. And so there's a necessary logic, uh, uh, so to speak, that the human history has to go through these stages. And so it is only a matter of time before the economic logic of capitalism works itself out, and there was a revolution that brings socialism about. Okay, so we're in a capitalist mode right now in most of the world. Yes, we've got some uh, kings and queens and rulers, and we've got um, you know some empires and very undeveloped countries and dictators, but let's start with your understanding of how a Marxist would view the capitalist system as being so flawed that it's going to implode. It's not just going to evolve into something else, which would be the logic of what you presented. Things sort of evolved. But you're telling me there's going to be a revolution. So that must mean that the flaws are not uh, that significant uh, and that it won't just evolve into a more effective, inclusive form of capitalism. So, again, tell us what the Marxist thinks of capitalism. 
It is the capitalist countries that are the most advanced economically, uh, and it's in the capitalist countries that we can most clearly see the economic logic working out that is going to bring the socialism that the uh, Marxists are in favor of. So what I want to do next is have a closer look at how capitalism came to be from the Marxist perspective, what its internal logic is, and what's necessary for capitalism to evolve uh, or revolve, if uh, actually it's going to be a revolution that's necessary here to bring about socialism. Well, before we lose some of our listeners out there to this uh, history lesson from a Marxist perspective on the development of economic systems across the world, I want you to just take a minute and explain how capitalism uh, occurred, how it evolved from uh, kings and queens uh, the feudalistic system, as you've described it. But let's be brief, because I really want to get into more of the meat of um, the Marxist view of the world. But this is a reasonable foundation to start with in this first segment. So tell us about your view of how capitalism developed from a Marxist perspective. All right, so capitalism developed out of feudalism. Uh, feudalism, as we know, is a system that is baked based on hierarchy. That is to say, we have the the king or the religious uh, authority who is at the top, sometimes struggle between those two there. Uh, Then we have the rest of the aristocracy. We may have a small class of uh, freeholders or yeomen, uh, a number of guilds perhaps, and then the broad mass of the population, though, is uh, the peasantry or or the serfs. And uh, all of the economic power, all of the political power, even all of the moral authority and so forth is with at the top of the hierarchy and those who are lower down in the hierarchy uh, have whatever it is that they have by the leave of those who are higher up in the hierarchy. So what we have then is a class-based system and one's position in the overall social structure is dependent upon what class one happens to be born into and everybody, wherever they are in the hierarchy, is in a position of being bound, right? It's a class-bound structure. You're born, again, with some exceptions here, you're born into a certain class. You are bound to that class for for life, and all of your obligations and all of your uh, responsibilities are, are, are then in here upon you or attached to you by nature of the portion of the class that you are bound into. Okay, so I guess you're going to say that then capitalism came out of revolutions of allowing people to uh, advance beyond their class to have upward mobility, which was the whole idea of creating a middle class of empowering individuals instead of being under the rule and thumb of a king or a queen or some religious uh, figure. So uh, is that how a Marxist sees this ongoing idea of revolution coming uh, from into capitalism and then coming out of capitalism. All right, what then happens is there's a series of capitalist revolutions uh, in the early modern world, and feudalism is overthrown in much of Europe over the course of a couple of centuries here. And, of course, under the case of capitalism, everybody is uh, held to be equal in their rights, and uh, rather than people being bound, they are Based, uh, they're rather held to be free, right? Individuals 
Uh, and so we have the emancipation of the serfs, we have the breakdown of the class structure, we have the institution of the idea that all of the laws of the land should apply equally to everybody, there shouldn't be a class-based structure, everybody uh, should be free to pursue their own mode of living, uh, uh, engage with other people socially uh, by, by whatever choice uh, that they, uh, they want to make and so forth. All right, so what we then have is uh, an emergence of a system that is the exact opposite of the system that it, uh, that it grew out of. Okay, Professor Hicks, you've laid down the historical foundation and the idea that it, occur- it took some revolutions and some wars and battles to go from one stage of economic uh, development of a country, of a people governing themselves, of the economic classes and the opportunities for work and family uh, and that we are now have evolved, if you will, through various revolutions uh, into capitalism. So now you're laying the stage here. If we haven't lost our audience, and I hope people will listen to this basic um, uh, history lesson that you've given us, because it sets the foundation for why Marxists believe in what they believe and why they believe they are the in- inevitable uh, outcome and next extension from capitalism. It is why many people in this country are our political leaders think that we need this revolution to move towards socialism and away from capitalism, that they think that is inevitable, that that is that they are on the side of the historical change that is likely to come. So please, audience, stay with us as we get away from this history and get into the criticisms of capitalism and the great wonders of why a Marxist thinks that uh, they are the end game in, in history. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We're talking about Marxism and the evolution of Marxism uh, from other economic systems. Now, to get to the socialist ideal that many in today's world uh, want the United States to go towards, uh, they're looking at the economic system and the flaws in capitalism that are ultimately going to lead 
to Marxism. So it's really important for the audience out there to understand how a Marxist looks at the world, looks at the economic development, looks at the flaws of capitalism, and says it's inevitable that we're going to be into socialism. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so we need to understand that philosophy of Marxism because it is infiltrating our educational system, it's infiltrating our political system, uh, and the things that it needs to do to get rid of capitalism are working its way as a cancer through our society, like our faith, our religion, our ability to have a melting pot, the idea of freedom and liberty and upward mobility under capitalism. It's all being challenged, and there are people who fundamentally believe in this country, people who are in the governmental ruling class or in the corporate boardrooms that believe in this Marxist evolutionary theory that it is the next step necessary for humankind to achieve its ultimate optimal state, that capitalism is not going to just change and allow for more people to get involved or have more opportunities, but that it is so fundamentally flawed, it needs to be overthrown. So please listen to this type of a presentation on how a Marxist views capitalism. Let's take the uh, economic principles that capitalism puts in place. Of course, under feudalism, there was very little by way of property rights. Or as to say, there was uh, one person, uh, legally, the king, who owned all of the property, including all of the people, or there was a relatively small percentage of the population that was legal entitled to own property. Instead, what capitalism does is it enshrines the notion of private property. Everybody is allowed to, right, or free to, to own property. In some cases, the, the property that existed under feudalism might be uh, broken up. The huge landed estates that the aristocrats owned or that the church owned or that the king owned, when those uh, individuals uh, and groups are deposed, the huge amounts of property then are taken up and divided amongst people. And to the extent that that's done formally, there's a rough and ready equality in the division of labor, or of the division of the property that, uh, that goes on. So we have private property that comes into existence, and that's an essential feature of capitalism. But we also have in capitalism a system of competition. Those who own property are in competition with each other uh, to uh, to try to increase the amount of, uh, of uh, property that they have. And there's a logic then to the development of competition in a uh, capitalist society that the Marxists think is, uh, is ironclad. Professor Hicks, this is great because now I think we're going to get into the heart of what many of our listeners want to better understand about this craziness of Marxism, because what you just described, uh, ownership of property and competition, a meritocracy, those always sound like good things for those of us engaged in and committed to a capitalist system. But to a Marxist, those are the seeds of its own destruction. So give us an example and how a Marxist would view the evils of 
ownership of property and competition. Suppose, for example, we'll do this as a hypothetical uh, experiment here or as a thought experiment, and we take all of the property uh, that the king owned and we divide it up equally among everybody in the society. So we then have a new society that is perfectly free and perfectly equal. Well, what is necessarily then going to happen, though, if we have a private property system uh, that capitalism then brings into case? Well, of course, people will make different decisions about how they're going to use their property. Some people will have better ideas than other people. Some people will have innovative ideas. Some people will be luckier than various other people. Some people will, of course, cheat and get away with it, and that will give them various sorts of advantages. So there will be all sorts of things that go on in the capitalist uh, uh, competition uh, as people are using their private property. And what then is going to happen, though, is in the competition, there are going to be some people who are fairly successful at the capitalist competition. They will be winners, they will be uh, amass more wealth, and there will be those who are losers, so to speak. They will make bad decisions, uh, or they will have bad luck, right? or they will be victims of various sorts of underhanded uh, practices by, by other people in that situation. So this is an important point for our audience to understand that Marx's perspective that Competition is not good, as a capitalist would see it, but competition is bad because it holds that there's going to be winners and losers, and the losers are ultimately going to be part of, I guess, ultimate rebellion, but that having winners and losers is not a good thing to encourage the losers to do more, to uh, rise up out of the class that they might uh, have fallen into or that things might happen to the winners that would allow them uh, to fall down from the winner category. They would make bad decisions after an initial uh, good decision. So is that what Marxism sees as the inherent flaw in capitalism? So capitalism, uh, the uh, Marxists argue, is necessarily a zero-sum or it's a system that generates a series of winners and a series of losers. Now what of course happens is if I, for example, am a loser, I don't know, suppose I make some bad decisions on my land and my crops are a failure for three years in a row, uh, then I face bankruptcy. My only option when I face bankruptcy is to sell off my property or it's taken away from me. Uh, And so then I lose my property. Uh, Somebody else who did not make those same bad decisions or who had better luck, that person then has more uh, assets available to him so he's in a position to buy my property. But then the end result of that is that I'm a propertyless person, and that person, uh, the other person, now has twice as much property, say so to speak. And my only option then, if I'm going to uh, stay in existence, is to go to work for him. So the argument that the Marxists make is that there's the logic of capitalism generates then a class structure of its own. Those who are consistently winners become property owners, and uh, the Marxists give the label bourgeois or the bourgeoisie, right, as a class to those who, as a result of the logic of capitalism, end up being uh, owners of property, and then those who are consistently losers, those who are not in a position then uh, to, uh, to maintain their own property but have to give up their property and then go to work for the bourgeoisie, those are the proletariat. What you're describing, Professor, then, is the idea that capitalism is going to lead to a segmentation of society of winners and losers and is going to involve people um, at the losing end becoming dissatisfied with the whole system, losing their freedoms that the capitalist approach 
has promised them and that will ultimately lead to some sort of a of a revolution or a dissatisfaction among people under a capitalist system. Is that correct? And so what the Marxists argue is that we might start from a situation in which everyone is equal and free, but nonetheless we are going to evolve necessarily by the logic of capitalism into a situation where not everyone is equal and also not everyone is fully free anymore because if uh, the bourgeoisie own the property and the proletariat are going to work for them, then the proletariat, particularly when they're on the job, they have to do what the, uh, what the bourgeoisie say. These guys are the bosses or these guys become the managers. These become the workers who have to do what we say. So we have within capitalism then the development of a hierarchy uh, of its own sex. Okay, I'll let you continue with this process, uh, this thought exercise that you're going through. But clearly capitalism is much more than what you've described because there is the chance for upward mobility. There's also a movement down from the um, uh, from the elite, the bourgeoisie, as you call them. And so if I'm working for somebody and they're the boss, but I've got other opportunities as capitalism has generated, I don't have to work for that boss if they're telling me what to do and I don't want to do it. So the freedoms that you have in a capitalist system are far greater than what the Marxist uh, is allowing for under your theory. So Let's continue, but I'm not buying a lot of what you're saying at this point. I know our audience is having trouble with it, but to me, the important part right now is that we begin to understand the Marxist simplistic view of capitalism, thinking that it has flaws, but I don't believe it really does. So continue with your thought. Now, between these two classes, there is necessarily going to be a conflict, and the conflict uh comes from competing economic interests. If I'm a member of the proletariat and I'm working for you, who is a member of the bourgeoisie, it's to my interest to uh, to earn more money, but it's to your interest to pay me less money. And so we have a conflict over wages. It's also uh, the case that when I'm on the job, since I'm a human being, I don't necessarily like being told what to do, but you uh, have the right and the power on the job to tell me right what to do. So I feel a certain amount of resentment of being told what to do. Now, the conflict uh, between the two classes uh, starts off fairly gently, right, in one generation. But what happens over the course of succeeding generations is the class conflict becomes exacerbated and more extreme. Now, tell us our audience exactly how these conflicts are exacerbated and get worse, because I think we're getting to some truths here of what a Marxist environment is creating this country to purposely divide us and to sort of pick at these wounds and create, for example, the educational differences in this country and not trying to solve it in any way that, in fact, a capitalist system could solve it if it had the political leadership to solve, for example, education in the uh, major urban centers where the minority population is really getting second-class education. But that kind of fits into creating this conflict. Tell us about this difference that a Marxist sees 
in exacerbating the conflict. For example, if I am working for you and I'm making my uh, my low wages, well, my kids, when they come along, I'm not going to be able to afford to send them to the first-rate schools that you can send uh, afford to send to your kids because you're a member of the bourgeoisie. So your kids will get better uh, better education than my kids. I might have to uh, have my kids go to work at a younger age. You can afford to, the, the additional luxury of time to send your kids to college, right, and so forth. And so what that then means is economically, my kids will be disadvantaged relative to your kids, right, in the next generation. So what a Marxist then is identifying as the flaws of capitalism is the winners and losers, a zero-sum game, and that there's conflict between classes, and as the rich get richer, uh, the poor get poorer, and we hear that every day from our Marxist socialist politicians. Um, that's, I guess, the ultimate conflict that you're going to see exacerbated by Marxists. So what we have here is a situation where there is antagonism, certainly over money issues, over social hierarchy issues, and it only becomes more extreme. We've heard the saying that the rich then are able to get richer and the poor get poorer. Now we're down to those little sayings that we hear so much from the leftist politicians. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, class conflicts, um, people don't have the opportunity, and everybody is losing their liberties and freedoms. Um, That's what I wanted to start to really get to, and I want to continue this discussion so that our audience can really understand the flawed mentality of Marxism as it looks at capitalism. So, Stay with us for the next segment. We'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio and Healthcare Insight. And if you've been listening so far, the audience now should have a good grasp on the mentality of the Marxist. I want to continue to develop, dive into that with Professor Stephen Hicks, who is a Marxist professor, and he is being very open and honest as he's teaching his students. We're getting some real uh, behind-the-scenes Look at how a Marxist thinks, how a Marxist assumes that capitalism is inevitably going to fail. 
so that many of the things we're seeing in society today, many of the leaders that we're hearing, many of the media that is proposing and supporting the idea of socialism, why they think socialism is inevitable. They've gone to school and have heard professors teach them about this inevitability of socialism. So they're trying to be, if you will, on the right side of history, thinking that capitalism is so flawed because they've been hearing it for so long. They've been teaching and preaching and uh, talking it through the media in their own bubble, their own silo, their own echo chamber, that they think this stuff is real, that they think they know better than anybody else, that capitalism is so flawed that the socialist Marxist revolution is coming and they want to be on the side of the winners. But I don't believe that for a second. So let's find out more from this Marxist ideology, this Marxist perspective of why inherently capitalism is doomed to failure. What we then get is a vicious cycle right, of all of this. The private property becomes concentrated in fewer hands. The competition rate becomes more intense. There's a sorting out among the winners themselves. They continue to compete against each other. Of course, there's an emerging middle class, but through the logic of this winner and loser competition, some of the middle class manage to claw their way up uh, into the upper reaches of the bourgeoisie. Others make a mistake at some point, and they get pushed down into the proletariat. And then over the course of several generations, the polarization right between the classes and the antagonism between the classes becomes more and more extreme. Now, the Marxists then argue that the next thing that will happen necessarily is a revolution. Now you've got our audience really interested because now we're at the revolutionary stage where the Marxists want to take over. How is that revolution going to happen so that we can sort of relate to what is happening in our country today as we begin to see the breakdown of much of our society, not because of capitalism, because Marxists have now infiltrated so many parts of our economy that they're exacerbating any minor conflicts that couldn't otherwise be resolved. How do you see this revolution occurring? The proletariat, as their masses increase, will come vastly to outnumber the small number of bourgeoisie who are controlling all of the property in a given society. The antagonism between the two classes will become explicit, overt, and inescapable, right, and obvious to everyone. At a certain point, the proletariat will realize that they vastly outnumber, that there's a great deal of, uh, of uh, strength in numbers. They will be able to conceptualize and realize explicitly that the rich are getting richer at the expense of the poor, that they're not getting ahead, and they will essentially decide that they're not going to take any more. They will rise up, and they will overthrow the system, and they will then institutionalize a new kind of society, a socialist kind of society, although there will be some sub-steps necessary here, uh, and that will, of course, be uh, socialism. What you're saying is that if we can increase the number of poor people out here who are resentful of people who have some wealth, that we can create this Marxist-Socialist revolution. And maybe our listeners can start to understand what seems totally illogical to most of us who believe in America If we have open borders and bring in people who have been under a socialist system, are looking for government handouts, are not looking for the freedoms and opportunities per se, but that are used to being in that proletariat 
category you talk about, that we then are more likely to have a revolution in the United States. And so bringing in a new population that would be an expansion of the proletariat and trying to keep people divided by giving them poor education, but giving them enough insight with TV shows and media and newspapers and other programs saying, well, look what so-and-so has. You have sort of the that uh, class envy that's being developed. Keep people down. Keep the minorities down in these central cities. Don't give them the opportunity to get up. Don't create opportunity zones. Don't create unions that might be helpful. Don't give them a hope for a better life through religion. Don't help them with other democratic processes that would allow them to get ahead and take advantage of the opportunities, but keep people down long enough in such ways as they will want a revolution. That's what I'm hearing you say. But what the Marxists of the 19th century and the early 20th century in particular are concerned with is the fact that uh, while the antagonisms are developing and while the class conflict is, uh, is uh, going along, it's not going along uh, quickly enough for them. And uh, despite a number of predictions of imminent revolution, uh, a number of those revolutions uh, fizzled out or did not materialize. There's a question from the Marxist uh, theoretical perspective toward the end of the 19th century, especially about what else might be operative in society such that they were slowing down the revolution. Uh, and, of course, there's also a debate within uh, broadly socialist circles about whether we need to have a revolution. Why not? If there's a necessary logic here, we don't just let the logic evolve, right, uh, however long it takes. And rather than having a revolution, which is, uh, of course, going to be nasty and so forth, why not just have an evolution, right, toward socialism? But what you're describing as a potential evolution, just let it happen, which would make the most logical sense if something's going to happen, if there's better ways of doing things, they will evolve. But what you're saying, Marxists don't believe in that kind of an evolutionary process of humankind. They truly want a revolution. So tell us about that aspect of Marxist thinking. What the Marxists want to argue uh, uh, is, given their understanding of human society and the broader uh, economic forces at work here, it has to be a revolution, but we have to understand in greater detail how the competition within capitalist society is going to play out along a number of dimensions uh, and why the evolutionary approach isn't going to work and necessarily a certain kind of revolution has to happen. Give us some direct information or quote from Marx as to why a natural evolution, if that is to be, uh, should be the way that um, socialists think instead of the Marxists who really think we need a revolution. Or as many politicians in the United States say today, we need a fundamental change in our country. That What they're really saying is they want more than a normal evolution. They want a real revolution, as Bernie Sanders would say. I've got a quotation here. Let me read that uh, to you from Marx here, just about this point about why we have to have a revolution. Uh, we cannot have an evolution if we're going to bring about socialism. Quote, the weapon of criticism, that is to say, pausing for a moment, just understanding the internal logic of capitalism and how it oppresses the people in the proletariat and enables the rich to get richer. Just understanding this theoretically is not going to be enough. The weapon of criticism cannot, of course, replace criticism by weapons. Right? 
Material force must be overthrown by material force. But theory also becomes a material force as soon as it is gripped by the masses. So the Marxists are arguing it has to be a revolution based on material forces. It can't simply be that we just understand and wait for things to play out. So now we have a lot of socialists in our government and in our leadership And I guess they're talking about sort of an evolutionary process that they want to get to the Marxism. They don't want to have a have a a war, a battle to, um, you know, overthrow the U.S. government. But they're working uh, like termites within the foundation to change this so fundamentally that we will have substantial socialism and prepare for the ultimate Marxism that they also believe in, or at least they're not fighting in any way, shape or form. And they are using more and more Marxists engaged in our country's politics. So tell us about this evolutionary process before we get into the revolutionary process. All right. Suppose we have this class conflict here. One more moderate response is to say, yes, all of this is true, say, and uh, there are many socialists who will uh, agree with this analysis up to this point here, but uh, argue that a revolution is not necessarily the case. We don't need to be uh, revolutionary. We don't need to uh, talk about bombs and overthrowing governments and so forth. What we can do is work within the system, the natural evolution of the system, and bring about a socialist system system through peaceful means. Explain how that sort of uh, socialist approach to evolution would happen. What would the socialists do uh, to create this evolutionary process towards socialism, if not Marxism? So, for example, what we might do is say, uh, unionize. Why don't we, within the capitalist system, uh, organize the proletariat. Uh, they have the same economic interests. They're now largely urbanized. They know each other. They work together. They can understand that they're all in the same situation. They may not be highly educated, but nonetheless, we should be able to get enough educated, strategic thinking union leaders. And we will organize by means of number and use the sheer numbers right, of the workers uh, that we have as a, as a bargaining tool. Now, unions are typically thought of as being very liberal, and socialists tend to want more unionization of the population and the workers. Uh, Currently, uh, President Biden is big on unions and their support, Um, but Marxists really don't think of unions as being all that helpful, do they? That unions are basically a moderating force keeping the proletariat, if you will, the poor people kind of in their place by giving them a little hope, a little bargaining power. And they sort of see it as something that maybe is propping up capitalism, not helping to tear it down as the Marxists would want. It's preventing the revolution, if you will, that the Marxists have been predicting for some time. So tell me about the Marxist view of unions. Now, the Marxists will say, all right, that's fine, and there are any number of Marxists who were willing to work with unions in order to organize the uh, the unions, but the Marxists argue that by themselves, unions are not going to get very far. But essentially, that's not going to change the conditions of the, the proletariat, because the capitalists are still being very profitable. So... Over time, the gains that the unions get are not going to economically benefit the proletariat significantly. So what you're saying is that while unions have helped to uh, support the 
middle class and have had a number of significant changes over the years in terms of benefits, um, welfare programs of health care and child care and uh, limited hours, all the things that have helped uh, the business world in total and moderate any of the potential excesses of capitalism that the Marxists really don't like that, that they want um, uh, the unions to be uh, done away with so that the underclass can get even more angry at the uh, bourgeoisie in your terms. Um, Well, it's a fascinating discussion. I hope our audience will stay for the last section, which where you will describe what happens when Marxism actually takes over. How do they do that in the final stage of turning a country into a Marxist uh, world? Uh, We'll be right back after this commercial. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Rocky Blyer, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I would also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, Hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Healthcare Insight, and we're in the last segment of really understanding the background, the insight, the thought processes of Marxism, how they think that capitalism is doomed to failure, It's got inherent flaws that means it cannot exist as the next wave of change comes about. It has to be Marxism that dominates. And the in-between Marxism and capitalism may be socialism, so that some of the people who want sort of an evolutionary process, a change in capitalism to a socialist system, ultimately the Marxists say that they are then Uh, the follow-up that takes a revolution, not an evolution. So I want to talk about the three things that are, from a Marxist viewpoint, are holding up capitalism. And they are unions, amazingly enough, democracy itself and the messiness of democracy, and religion. And in particular, religion is a real area that Marxists want to do away with. And it's happening in the United States, of course, with separation of church and state and trying to isolate religion and and trying to demonize uh, evangelicals. Um, Christianity is under attack, and they've been successful in the courts to kind of minimize religion in many ways. I want to talk about that in the last section, along with what happens if the Marxists actually take over, what their game plan is. So let's go back to Professor Hicks and have him tell us about democracy, and I'll then come back in and let him talk about the impacts of religion on holding up uh, our capitalist system. 
One thing that can come out of union organization and organizing the proletariat is not strictly economic. What we can do is use that as a launching pad toward uh, having members of the proletariat, perhaps uh, people who have put some time in, in union organization, run for political office. Why don't we use democracy as our tool? of advancing the interests of the proletariat. Well, again, the Marxists will say uh, that's fine and there can be some value to all of this, but again, they don't think that this is going to be very effectual in the long run. So again, it's a very slow process. It's uh, not a process that's going to guarantee success. Democracy is very messy. In many cases, it's uh, deals cut under the table or in various kinds of back rooms. There's no guarantee that the elected uh, representatives from the unions or directly from the proletariat are going to remain true to their class comrades. From the Marxist perspective, that route is, uh, there's no guarantees of success. In fact, there's a chance that the, 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 the whole system is going to be stretched out for such a long period of time that you're just going to end up with a muddled, mixed economy. Uh, capitalism will be forced to make certain sorts of compromises, but the underlying uh, nature of the system is not going to change. Okay, so unions might be helpful to the socialists, but not to the Marxists. And democracy may be helpful to a socialist, but not the Marxist, because democracy is too messy. It takes too long. Um, electing people to the right positions is uh, a lifetime, if not longer, process. And democracy itself, especially a republic, as we have, not a democracy as you've been talking about, but the republic that we have has checks and balances that prevent the extremism of Marxism at this point in time. So what's the Marxist view on these areas? And isn't there another area of religion that's a real holdback uh, and prevention for the Marxist philosophy? The class conflict also plays out ideologically, and there's another major weapon that the capitalists have at their disposal that works to the advantage of the bourgeoisie and against the proletariat, and that weapon is religion. That religion, from the Marxist perspective, is not simply a false right, set of beliefs. The Marxists are materialists, so they're on principle atheist. Religion, though, is a social institution right? that's reflecting a certain uh, set of underlying economic interests. And what we should find then in the capitalist uh, economies is that religion is serving to rationalize, justify, and empower underlying economic capital interests. So religion is a tool that the capitalists will use uh, in order to forestall uh, any uh, evolution toward uh, socialism. So again, tell me why Marxists as committed atheists find religion so dangerous to the Marxist ideology. Is that from the capitalist perspective, religion right, under capitalism uh, comes to play an accommodating role in the following kinds of way. 
we take all of the members of the proletariat and we encourage them to be religious. We herd as many of them as we possibly can into church on Sunday. They've been working hard all week for minimum wages in subpar conditions, having to do what the boss tells them. They feel a certain amount of resentment. They might feel a certain amount of anxiety. Perhaps as democracy, the democracy's institutions are progressing, perhaps as union institutions are progressing, their class consciousness is emerging. And so they're feeling a certain amount of uh, anger right at their oppression, right in their situation. But what is the central message right, that they hear when they show up in church right on Sunday mornings as the preacher right, or the priest gets, uh, gets up and delivers the sermon to them? Well, they hear a large number of things, but certainly a large number of, a large subset of those number of things has to do with certain economic right, messages that are built into the Christian religion. Right, they will be told, for example, that blessed are the meek, right? blessed are the poor. And so what religion does then is telling them that they are blessed, not in the here and now, but that they will nonetheless get their rewards in the afterlife, right? When they go to heaven, then that is going to lead them, when they leave church, not to be so revolutionary, not to be upset. They'll have a consolation prize. That'll get them through another week. Okay, Professor, I get it. Those things that help support um, a capitalist system, uh, unions who have um, improved the lives of the proletariat mean that they don't want to overthrow the capitalist system. Democracy is too messy for them to overthrow the capitalist system. And religion uh, pacifies them such that they don't want to be angry and overthrow the system. So Marxism, socialism has to attack all of those areas at the end of the day and try to create this revolution. So let's take the next step. Let's assume all that happens. Let's assume that the Marxists are successful. Now what? All right, suppose we as Marxist educators are successful and the revolution comes, the uh, current capitalist system is overthrown, and we're now in a position to start building a uh, socialist society. Our job as educators changes uh, significantly at this point, in part because now the uh, uh, education system will be entirely uh, state-run, and it will be uh, state-run by politicians uh, and other powers that be who are committed to Marxism as the uh, the ruling uh, ideology. And so we will have the full support and backing of the uh, of the system uh, to to bring about uh, and to do our jobs in, in helping to bring about a fully socialistic system here. So the transition from capitalism to socialism slash Marxism is not going to happen overnight. What does the Marxist prepare to do? in this interim period of transition to get to their ultimate goal of a Marxist society. The transition from capitalism to socialism, according to Marxism, is not going to be uh, overnight. It's certainly going to be at least the work of a generation, and so there's going to be a transition stage that classical Marxism calls the dictatorship of the proletariat. That's to say the proletariat, that is to say the workers and uh, those who are advocates of the the workers' uh, uh, cause will be the ones who are running the show, but they will have to run the show in a dictatorial fashion. Professor, your honesty and understanding the Marxist mentality is truly remarkable. So we're going to have to have a dictatorship 
and tell us why a dictatorship is this interim government. But in this transition stage, we still have a huge number of people in the population, perhaps, and, and even likely a majority of the population who grew up under the old system, that is to say, who grew up under capitalism, who grew up under a religious-based uh, society as well. And so those uh, individuals are still either wholly uh, or at least partially conditioned to still think in terms of capitalism and religion. So during this transition stage, we're going to need to, to exercise in a top-down fashion an education system that, on the one hand, deals with those people who are still younger and not yet uh, or haven't yet been co- uh, conditioned by capitalism. We can shape them how we wish uh, to create the new socialist man. But at the same time, we're going to have to have an education system that takes into account those who were uh, earlier conditioned by and may still be committed to the earlier system of capitalism and religion. Well, Professor, historically in the Soviet Union, in China, and in Cuba, that has been a very violent reaction to eliminating and killing that generation that is no longer wanted by the Marxists that were brought up and have the exposure to the benefits of capitalism. What do you say the Marxists still want to do? Now, of course, one solution and the most ruthless solution that some Marxists will advocate is simply to get rid of entirely anybody who is uh, beyond a certain age uh, on the grounds that those people cannot be trusted. It's not likely that they can be reconditioned or that given their age, it's not worth the expense of trying to recondition them. And so we can simply uh, get rid of, and I'll just use that as a, as a euphemism now, Uh, get rid of the entire older generation or anybody who seems uh, not to be signed up uh, on the cause. What about the younger generation that you want to train, but they still have parents in place that you're not getting rid of? Um, What do you do with those folks? You're going to have a large number of people who are parents, and certainly in the younger generation, we're going to have uh, all of the children. And one of the things that is common in pre-socialist societies is an importance placed on the family unit. But of course, from the Marxist perspective, that is entirely wrong. We should not see ourselves as individuals who are making our own choices about our mates or who have special relationships to our children. We're all part of a larger community, all part of society. And so these bourgeois notions about the importance of family is something that we're going to have to overcome in the dictatorship of the proletariat stage. Well, I now see more clearly why the Black Lives Matter BLM leadership and organizers want to do away with the um, traditional family structure. It now makes sense for those of us who thought that's one of the dumbest ideas anybody's come up with, but it is clearly part of Marxism. So what do you do about the children then so they don't get influenced by these parents who believe that they are their children and they want to control their own family destiny. So one thing that we then might do is institute boarding schools where for a significant amount of time students uh, are taken away from their parents and they're sent to boarding schools uh, and so for the bulk of their childhood they are uh, under our control under in the, in the dictatorial uh, system. Or, of course, the more ruthless regime will be uh, simply to, to, to break down the family structures altogether, to uh, get students past the notion of thinking that they have uh, special uh, links uh, that are private affections to particular individuals who are their parents, uh, and then that will uh, speed up the process of developing uh, a new generation of socialist individuals. 
Well, there you have it, audience. The straight word from a Marxist professor about the goals of Marxism. And maybe you now have a better understanding of the craziness that's going on around us that's intentional to create the turmoil, the conflict, to create a socialist Marxist society. I hope you all understanding this will be more active in stopping it and trying to use democracy to maintain capitalism, to try to get people who have a faith-based initiative to understand that they are the ultimate target, to eliminate them, to help parents understand the ultimate target is to take away their children. Come back next week and we'll get into more of Marxism, the cancer within us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.